Welcome to Affiliates in Action, December 2016. Rick Lewis sits with President Kim Charlson of the American Council of the Blind tonight, along with Executive Director Eric Bridges, and they talk about, oh, ACB successes, things that didn't go quite as planned this year in ACB, a bunch of transformations that occurred within ACB, and a couple of happy surprises that happened there towards the end of the year. So sit back, relax, enjoy Affiliates in Action here on ACB Radio. Hi, I'm Rick Lewis. This is Affiliates in Action, and I have two people I'm connected with at the moment, ACB President Kim Charlson and Executive Director Eric Bridges, and I guess you you started out the year by changing location, didn't you? Yes, we did. We moved our uh, national office from Arlington, Virginia, uh, next door to Alexandria, and uh, we'll be here uh, through 2020. Or 2021, I apologize. Um, so it is. Uh, it's a nice space. Uh, it is a good area, and it's been it's been a good year of uh, transitioning to it. Um, as well as, uh, if I could, uh, another thing that happened just before we moved is we hired a new teammate in the national office, and that individual is uh, Tony Stevens, who. Um, many listeners may have become familiar with over the course of the year, um, hired him to assume the role of director of advocacy and governmental affairs in the national office, which is a really critical position to, uh, to fill and to find the right person and, to, uh, to hope, you know, to, to carry on the mission of the organization. And he has been fantastic. Uh, he hit the ground running. One of the nice things about Tony is that, he has uh, several years of experience within the blindness uh, community, uh, doing advocacy and on the on the national level. So he uh, had has contacts in Congress and in the federal government, and uh, he is an ACB member and was an ACB member before he came to work for us. So he shares our sort of our view of of the capabilities of, of blind people and uh, the values of ACB. So it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure to work with them and uh, to um, make, make this year of transition go all the more smooth. And you did a little bit of transitioning yourself, uh, didn't you? Because you were in the position that uh, Tony was in, and, uh, and you changed to the executive uh, director's position, right? That's, that's correct, yeah. In November of 2015, um, I was appointed uh, to the position of executive director. And uh, this year has been one of transition for me as well. And um, it, there's uh, always a, there's always something to do. There's always several (laughs) things to do actually in the, in my role, um, which is not uncommon. Uh, It's been, uh, it's been a good year. I think we've, we've uh, done some really good things. There are some accomplishments that, that I, you know, I believe, Kim and I are going to talk with you about tonight that we're very proud of. 
from an organizational standpoint and some changes sort of internally within the uh, within ACB, uh, how we're doing our business on a day-to-day level that we'll be uh, sharing with you. And I just want to say um, about staffing is um, we have a fabulous team as we as we wind down 2016 in our staff. Um, in in Alexandria, and it's it may be a small team of four people, but it's uh, you know who work in that office. But they are a powerful team, and we have you know Sharon Levering as our editor of the ACB Braille Forum, and Kelly Gask, who is just a wonder at um, handling you know social media. She's she's done a tremendous amount of very, very positive work, really growing ACB's media positioning and and she's great with design. She has has really been a a super addition to our staff and a, a real team player for Eric and Tony. And just watching the transition with Eric to executive director and then bringing on Tony, I think that we've got a team in our national office that they are really connected and they're in sync with each other and you know they are working as a really well-oiled team and i'm really proud of that and i think they should be very proud of that too our our minneapolis office has done a fantastic job this year um and they've undergone a transition and are undergoing transition as well in a couple of respects um lane waters uh uh, has uh, moved into a contractor role and is, uh, you know, he's been invaluable to ACB over the last decade and we appreciate all of his service and we are very appreciative that he's agreed to stay on in a contractor role to to work uh, with, with ACB and with the Minnesota office staff as we're transitioning to to uh, some different software and systems for for accounting purposes. So it's been it's been wonderful working with Wayne, um, and we're continuing our work with him in his new role. And uh, it's been really nice to watch Nancy Becker uh, step up and, and assume um, a lot of what Wayne had been doing. Um, it's been great getting to know her and work with her more, uh, and in in her role as chief accountant and. Uh, the folks, uh, the other folks that work in the in the office, uh, Lori Sarf, uh, dealing with uh, our, our HR and payroll uh, for not only ACB but also ACBES, uh, uh, our our thrift stores, and uh, D. B. Thien, who um, is somebody that many 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 folks that call the Minnesota office f- for uh, assistance either with uh, uh, you know, MMS or uh, scholarships or you name it, um, folks get funneled uh, to, to D. And um, she does a really nice job. Um, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been good getting to know them better. Um, I've, I've taken several trips there this year. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Nice folks in that I, office. I enjoyed my contacts w- uh, contacts with them over the summer, which were uh, 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 certainly minimal, but uh, but quite enjoyable. I think also it's uh, it, it. I'm glad you brought them up, Eric, because you know 
sometimes people think, well, that's the accounting folks and they're not that, you know, relevant to what we do, but they're critical to what we do. And they are really part of our team as well. And don't always get recognized for the contributions they make, because if they weren't there to support everything else that we're doing, we'd all be in trouble. So they, they have exactly. a, a major role to play. In December of 2015, announced a, a partnership with Microsoft to work with them uh, to ensure that the the applications and, and products that they were bringing to market uh, would be made accessible moving into the future. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I would I would characterize it as having been a very good year of of working with them. Uh, Microsoft. Uh, has invested in, and continues to invest a lot in uh, in people, hiring folks to work on accessibility uh, in their various product groups across the organization. Uh, they right right after uh, we announced the partnership, they announced uh, a new chief uh, accessibility officer in Jenny Lee Flurry, who's somebody that. I've come to know very well over the last three or four years and have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, she herself is an individual with a disability. She's uh, uh, profoundly hard of hearing. And so, um, you know, it's something that um, she's dealing uh, with a, you know, with her hearing loss. She, she's passionate about this and it's made it all the, all the better for us to be able to, to work uh, together, and I think that through our partnership, a lot of the advancements that have been made um, by Microsoft have um, have started have started to bear some fruit. Um, for For a number of years, I think listeners would probably agree, accessibility kind of uh, took a backseat to a lot of other uh, initiatives that Microsoft was working on, and there was, I think, um, I think it's fair to say a uh, some resentment that was growing within our community regarding Microsoft and their products uh, with the level of accessibility or inaccessibility of many of them. And, um, you know, they're not all the way where they want to be or where, frankly, we want them to be, but they're in a far better space than they were a year ago. And um, I believe that, that quite a lot of that has to do with our direct uh, input and advice and uh, an individual in particular who I'd like to recognize is Jeff Bishop, who's a a member of ACB's board and uh, also, uh, uh, you know, uh, as part of his duties on the board oversees ACB radio. And uh, he's been somebody that I've relied upon in this relationship to provide a lot of technical subject matter expertise and uh, it's been fantastic working with them and uh, I assure you that the uh, that the folks at Microsoft really enjoy uh, working with him as well he's provided a lot of very substantive feedback and uh, a lot of it is feedback that um, is very difficult to come by elsewhere within the blindness field so it's it's great that that he is uh, not only on our team team ACB but you know, he's also a leader, and uh, it's it's been an enjoyable experience working with him. Definitely. In particular, just just last month was in Atlanta at Ignite, and um, and he made several presentations 
um, to, you know, thousands of Microsoft employees and um, about accessibility issues. And um, it's just incredibly highly regarded by Microsoft folks. And, you know, we have a real valuable, as Eric said, member of the ACB team um, in, in Jeff Bishop. So thank you to Jeff. I know uh, there was some uh, negotiation in Washington, D.C. About, uh, about taxis and guide dogs. How did that all fare? Sure. So this has been an ongoing saga <laughs> for as long as <laughs> oh, people yes. have had guide dogs. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. But for, for whatever reason, Washington, D.C. seems to have been a, kind of a flashpoint for a lot of discrimination, and uh, which is really unfortunate because we are, uh, you know, a city of, of the world, and folks come from all over the world as tourists or on business. And uh, this is this has been an issue for as long as I've been with ACB, and for much much longer than that. So, um, three years ago, um, we were approached by uh, the local CBS television affiliate. Uh, WUSA Channel 9 to take part in an undercover um, investigation to look at this issue. This is like, you know, Rick, I'm sure you can imagine. This is one of the most difficult acts of discrimination uh, to prove when oh, you're yes. an individual who's blind. Indeed. Um, because a taxi, you know, a taxi sounds like any other vehicle. And so unless the individual cab driver is yelling at you that they're not going to take you, it's almost impossible to figure out that you're being discriminated. Absolutely. So um, the, the investigation uh, essentially uh, helped to, to sort of verify all of our anecdotal uh, claims. And that is that taxi drivers were in fact, uh, four out of eight times during during the investigation, uh, not picking up a blind person with with their dog, their guide dog, and so uh, there were a number of things that that went into uh, our advocacy. After that, we attempted to, uh, you know, as you are aware, to to deal with the issue without litigation. Um, but when the cab companies in question weren't willing to, to negotiate, um, we filed suit uh, against all four of them in, uh, in D.C. Superior Court in 2015. And um, I'm proud to say that in June of this year, um, we came to uh, what I believe is a, is a good settlement that really uh, strikes the right uh, tone of accountability uh, for uh, the, these taxi companies, but also, I would argue, for the industry, because it really forced the industry to take a look at uh, itself and what they were doing. So, you know, these these companies need to have uh, non-discrimination policies. They need to revise them if they do to include individuals, you know, to, to language concerning service animals and uh, train their their drivers on, uh, you know, individuals who are blind that have guide dogs, you know, that, that we are by law, uh, allowed and they are required by law to take us. Uh, but as well, 
the final part is a uh, is an accountability piece, which uh, in essence there's a there's a uh, testing fund that has been set up, uh, whereby uh, individuals um, who are blind and, and this is going to take place starting uh, in the in the summer of next year. Uh, we will there will be folks that will hail cabs. Um, and if discrimination takes place, that will be uh, noted and reported back to the to the company in question, and there will be uh, action taken against the driver. And so this is uh, you know this is something that you know we yes we we settled the the lawsuit, but what we're wanting to do is to continue the momentum that we feel we've created by filing this lawsuit and making it. Uh, making this issue so visible and continuing to hold uh, the taxi industry accountable. And there's a lot of taxi industry in a lot of places. So there it's, um, you know, precedents are good things. And, and of course, uh, I imagine that uh, you've probably uh, heard the argument many times that these are folks are just contractors and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and, and, I don't know if in this case that was uh, the case, but at least at, at sometimes it seems like uh, they want to kind of uh, um, how how would you put it deny accountability because of that contractor relationship. At least that's the way it seems to me. I'm I'm supposed to ask questions and not editorialize, but <laughs> well, and I think it's it's interesting because um, our our case the litigation in Washington D.C. was very very specific to the taxi industry, which is regulated by the DC government. But what you're talking about is another issue that we've certainly had conversations with, and that's the independent contractor, the transportation networking companies, the Ubers and the Lyfts, and the issues surrounding picking up people with guide dogs. And and there have been, you know, several episodes in, in that arena as well. You know, Uber has been and 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 Lyft have been such tremendous um, transportation assets for people who are blind. They've just changed, you know, they're game changers when it comes to how we can access and plan our lives and get to where we need to go. And um, if you have those services, I think everybody listening would, would agree they're just incredibly valuable. But we also have to hold them accountable. And, and that's a little different with a transportation networking company because... Oftentimes, you know, we'll report that someone denied us, you know, access. Um, most of my experience has been with Uber, and I make an absolute point to email Uber, you know, support at uber.com if I have any kind of problem. And they're very good about resolving that, you know, giving you a credit on your account and that kind of thing. And that's really the kind of the price of doing business for a company like Uber when they give you, you know, a refund on your, on your ride or you had a negative experience. They yes. want to feel better. But of so course, but of course, edu- but of course, education of drivers is a big piece of it too. A- absolutely. And we have worked quite extensively with both Uber and Lyft um, they have, you know, key policy people and accessibility folks that that Eric has worked with, and um, we've 
consulted with them about you know, videos to train their drivers and just a whole lot of different aspects of making sure that that they are accountable as well and that they don't deny rides to people who have service dogs. And, you know, it still happens to me. I just walk up to the taxi, open the door, the, the car, open the door, and they say, well, I'm not sure I can take that dog, ma'am. And I said, oh, don't worry. It's a service dog. She'll be right here on the floor, you know, and we just kind of push our way in and that's just <laughs> that's just how i handle it but there you go <laughs> i usually get my ride and by the end of the trip they're like wow your dog is so well behaved yeah yeah she was just gonna jump around and you know sit in the front seat that's how <laughs> and, ki- and kiss the driver during the trip yeah yeah exactly she was gonna navigate <laughs> you know with her cell phone so uh, but uh but we have had some, Uber has been a great partner. Um, last year's legislative seminar, or this year's, 2016, um, they provided rides for all of our delegation to get up to Capitol Hill. So we had Uber account to do that. Uber bucks, I think they call them. And it was kind of kind of fun. And people really liked having that, that available. So they have been a good partner. And we've been giving them, I think, some really good feedback and input about accessibility and and service to people who are blind and visually impaired well uh, i know you probably had some items on your uh, on your plus your accomplishment list that i haven't uh, gotten to yet sure well i guess i'll i'll start from a from a an operational standpoint uh, we have been uh, afforded the opportunity to make significant uh, upgrades in our information technology infrastructure uh, within ACB. And it's something that has been, uh, I would say, sorely needed uh, for the last several years. So uh, we are transitioning, uh, migrating from you know, our traditional laptops to uh, Surface Pro 4s. Uh, we've actually, we're almost finished with that process. We, uh, both the Minneapolis and the, uh, and the Alexandria office are, are now utilizing uh, email uh, through Office 365 and uh, SharePoint and the document migration of uh, of all of our documents to SharePoint should be complete here in the next couple of weeks. So we will be fully in Office 365, which is a which is a big deal for uh, you know a headcount of our nature. It's uh, enterprise technology for a fairly small but mighty uh, group of folks, and it's gonna it's gonna help us work a lot smarter. Uh, I would I would say, and I say this a lot, but we work really hard. Uh, but one of the one of the challenges that we've had is we've been sort of hamstrung by uh, the the technology uh, not being either compatible or uh, having just different different sorts of technologies within each office. And so now we're all playing on the same field and. There is a learning curve that goes with all of that, which is a little uncomfortable, but, you know, learning new things, that always is. <laughs> I remember when I got my iPhone, it was quite a learning curve. Oh, yes. Um, 
you know, but, but this is uh this is an investment in our future and uh, it's an investment in our staff and it's, it's, uh, it's critical uh, for us to be able to, to move forward and be efficient and effective. So to go along with that, our, uh, our folks in Minneapolis who work um, foremost on all of our finance and accounting uh, initiatives, uh, we are in the process of uh, readying uh, a piece of uh, accounting software called Dynamic GP. And uh, that is something that is going to once implemented and it, it is, it will be stood up by January one, which is great uh, for the start of our fiscal year. Uh, that is a, that is a really powerful uh, system that is going to drive a lot of efficiencies through our, through our accounting system um, that, that we've not seen really, in a very, very long time. It's a, it's, it's a, a tremendous investment in the future of how it is we're doing business. All of this stuff is helping to, to, to make us work quicker, uh, to, to really maximize the, the time that we have in the day uh, as, a, as a, a group of dedicated employees. So that has, those two things, while they're not complete yet, they are accomplishments and process. And, um, I'm very, I'm very proud that, that things are going as well as they are. That's not to say that things are perfect, that nothing ever is when you're doing an IT project, but no, and um, things are always you know, changing. Yeah. Things are always changing, but it, it, um, it's, uh, it's something that's absolutely necessary and, uh, everybody has a really positive attitude about it. So I, I couldn't be happier. So a lot of our, um, Volunteer efforts and staff efforts during the year are focused at kind of the major event that we work toward, which is the convention. And we had a pretty spectacular convention in uh, Minneapolis this past July. And just, you know, when you have hundreds and hundreds of people together and the, the, um, the speakers and the the special interest affiliates and everything that happens at the convention, um, you know, just trying to capture that and tell the story. This year we did something. Um, we had a, a photographer videographer um, who, who was able to capture video footage of a lot of activities um, of the convention and we had, after the convention, we were able to release um, two videos. One of them was a, a specific video about um, the, you know, activities of the convention, the walk, um, just, you know, what happens, all the, all the, the just hustle, bustle, excitement, enthusiasm. And we were able to capture those videos and really tell our story about in, in a video way, which is so important for not-for-profits to be able to deliver a video message these days on YouTube. And we were able to do that with, um, you know, video and audio described videos of convention activities. Um, and they were, they were a lot of fun and they really did show our membership doing a lot of different things. And that was, that was really, I think, something that we're going to continue to do because we 
we had so much great exposure from that. Um, and the other thing, uh, video, well, we had uh, two other video successes. And Eric can share numbers because he's kind of been watching the social media impact of some of our of our video content. Um, we have a spot that is on public television on PBS, um, and it's a short spot called Spotlight On, and it profiles ACB and what we do as an organization and what people in our organization do. And it's, it's a shortened, condensed version of the Blind Abilities video from 2015. So it's telling our story and really showing people, blind people and the, their abilities in work, home, family, all those different settings. And that's been running all of this year on over 800 public television stations um, repeatedly, which gives us a lot of exposure. It's about a four, four and a half minute piece. And then the other um, video that has really been very successful and has really gone viral is, um, is the family of our executive director, Eric Bridges, his wife, Rebecca, and his charming little son, Tyler. And that video just is kind of showing them as a family playing and just doing a whole bunch of things. And, and then Eric is talking about being a, a blind parent and being a, a couple raising, you know, a sighted child, both being blind and how you do it. And he just talks about the realities of how you do it and you do what you have to do. And it's, it's really gone viral. I think last I heard it had over 16,000 hits on YouTube and that's pretty spectacular. It is. So Eric, you are a fine papa i have to say and you have the charming little boy and a beautiful wife and so you just made such a great family on that video um and that's the kind of story we need to tell about what blind people can do there was a son uh, there was a settlement regarding the general services administration contractors and uh, and what did that settlement involve and and who was affected uh, by it Sure. So the settlement actually took place in 2015, and it dealt with uh, the inaccessible website that was and is being operated by the General Services Administration, GSA. It's a website called SAM.gov, as in Uncle Sam, and essentially anybody body or entity that's receiving funds from the federal government is required to register with SAM.gov and on an annual basis renew the registration. Well, this uh, this website, which is very big and happens to be, uh, was created by a very major company that everybody knows with three letters. Um, <laughs> it, it was not accessible uh, to individuals who are blind that were using screen readers. And uh, so essentially what, what the settlement called for was to make it accessible. And we've uh, been monitoring that through the course of 2016. And um, there has been a lot of positive movement uh, with regard to the accessibility of that website. Uh, three of our members uh, joined in the class action along with ACB. Um, so uh, Stan Berman, Jeff Tom, and Kathy Goslin. And uh, they, they were all 
federal contractors of some sort, and they're all blind and they're all denied access repeatedly. So uh, the the website is far more accessible than it was. Uh, it, it is rather ironic that the General Services Administration is responsible for, uh, primarily responsible, the, the agency primarily responsible for Section 508 uh, compliance. And uh, they had this big website that was not accessible. So uh, things are much better now, but we continue to monitor it, as do our attorneys. And that's sort of where that stands. I thought maybe I'd talk about, and Eric can chime in as well, on the um, the two major surveys that ACB did to, to gather some demographic data from our community that we could then utilize as research-based information and fact for some of our governmental advocacy work. So we did two surveys this year. One was in collaboration with Guide Dog Users Incorporated and Cuss Dogs, which is the Council of U.S. Dog Guide Schools. Well, it's not what it sounded like to me. called Cuss Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and ACB and the three um, organizations worked together to, um, to create a, a survey targeted at Guide Dog Users to... Um, to really spotlight and, and hit upon where are the areas where, you know, things are going well for you, where are the areas where you're having issues. And, and certainly, you know, the taxi cab, um, public transportation, air, air flight, air travel, TSA, going through security, you know, all those kinds of things that can be a little bit challenging when you have a guide dog. Um, were addressed in this survey, and um, we had a very good response. I think um, almost 900 people took that survey. So that's a lot of data that is being analyzed and is available to um, the, all the different guide dog schools who participate in Custogs, and certainly available to GDUI and ACB to break down in, in all of those components and then take those relevant issues and use them for, for our advocacy. And I know that Tony Stevens used a lot of the data from the guide dog survey in the work that he has done over the, the last several months um, relating to the Air Carrier Access Act and the Department of Transportation and dealing with the definition of service dogs in, in air travel um, and also access to in-flight entertainment. And that kind of touches upon the second survey that that um, ACB sponsored. It was through our audio description um, project, which um, we have contractor Joel Snyder who works with us and a very active committee working on the audio description project, managing the website and, and doing a whole lot of other projects around audio description. And the survey was one of them. And I think we had nearly 500 people respond to the audio description survey. And we got a lot of information about how people use audio description. Do they, do they like it? Do they want more? What areas do they want more in? Are they having any problems accessing description on the SAP channel? Does the remote control work? All that kind of stuff about audio description. And we had a 
a professor from Suffolk University here in Boston um, work with us. Um, she helped design the study and then she also set it up on SurveyMonkey so that we could get some really good demographics for and analytics from that report to use with our advocacy work with the FCC. And it came in very, very um, handy for us to have the results of that survey um, for our advocacy work on the FCC and expanding the number of hours of description that we're hopeful is still gonna be happening with the FCC and hopefully the not too distant future. And we also used it for um, kind of justification and, and rationale for some of the work of the Disability Advisory Committee as well. So, so Eric, you might want to add a little bit more on the um, video description and FCC issues because you've been monitoring that for, for uh, quite some time and especially in the last couple weeks. Yeah, so this is um, in the area of uh, un undecided or undetermined uh, to be determined. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a proposed regulation uh, that was to come uh, f up for a vote at the FCC's uh, commission meeting a couple weeks ago, and really the the proposed regulation at its very core would have raised the amount of hours uh, of required description on the four broadcast networks and the top five cable channels from four hours a week to seven hours a week. Uh, and uh, there were many other provisions contained within that proposed rule dealing with uh, requiring additional, an additional five cable channels on top of the five that were already uh, to be to be required to to provide video description. Um, by the way, it's called video description at the FCC because that's what they elected to call it through the CVAA, which is kind of odd. So that's why I'm calling it video description when everybody else calls it audio description. <laughs> um, the some of the other aspects of it um, dealt with requiring premium channels uh, to to provide a certain amount of audio-described content, as well as those uh, channels that may, uh, when the FCC does their Nielsen uh, every couple of years, uh, when Nielsen comes out with their their uh, top five cable channels, uh, and inevitably one one of those channels will fall out of the top five and this particular proposed regulation would have said that the one that falls out doesn't get to, to um, not provide description anymore. So in other words, no backsliding. So there are a bunch of provisions in here that um, frankly would have been very nice, um, but they, they've been deemed controversial because they are, uh, it is arguable that they are outside of the scope of the CVAA. And so uh, when uh, the congressional Republicans sent the letters to all the federal agencies asking them to cease work on any regulation that could be deemed controversial, uh, Chairman Tom Wheeler at the FCC elected to pull this proposed regulation from the agenda and not vote on it. But it can still be, it can still be voted on. 
um, it's still, as they say, in circulation, which means that, that it is still alive. Um, and we're doing everything we can to, to ensure that the, the hours piece of it, which is in line with the law, the law allows for this, um, the, the increase of hours from four to seven, um, that that piece is included, um, which frankly would be a win for the community and is something that, um, you know, we're working very hard to ensure that that, that takes place. There is a pretty, what I consider to be a pretty cool article uh, published in the New Yorker magazine last Wednesday uh, that yes. sort of highlighted this this fight. Um, and in particular, it focused on um, the politics and uh, video description. And uh, ACB was uh, mentioned all through the article um, as, you know, leading advocates for video description. So we got some visibility. The issue got some visibility, um, which, you know, in this instance, when you're, when you're looking to influence, uh, you know, policymakers and regulators, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll see what the outcome is. We're still, still hopeful that there, there could be some positive movement on, on this issue. So it's kind of keep your fingers crossed and, Hope for the best that maybe within the next several weeks we might have some some really exciting news. So we did have but a couple Rick, of, yeah. of um, other what I would say are governmental affairs um, pluses, and and that would be going back to um, the uh, National Highway Traffic and Highway Safety Administration. I think I got all those words in the wrong order, but. NHTSA, as they affectionately call it, released regulations in November relating to um, quiet cars and the sound that quiet cars will need to make by 2018 and 2019 to alert pedestrians that they are there when they're moving at a slow speed. So that's something that we've been waiting for for four, four years about, I think. Um, so that was good news that those got released, I think, right around the 12th or 13th of November and uh, right after the election. Um, a bit of a surprise, but I think, um, you know, they had been in the in the pipeline for a long time. So it was good to see some some movement there. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but why do you think that didn't get scuttled along with the FCC action, admittedly a different agency, but why do you think the uh, fate of that was different? So I, I think I can take a crack at this. Um, it, it was ultimately deemed non-controversial because the auto industry and the disability community had essentially come to an agreement on the provisions within the regulation. So uh, that that is my sort of 30,000 foot assessment of it. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's good stuff. Essentially, you know, vehicles of 10,000 pounds or less are, uh, going to be required to have, you know, an alert sound mechanism within the vehicle. You know, the manufacturer will be required to, to put it in and that, that alert sound will trigger when the vehicle 
uh, you know, the, when the vehicle gets down to around 20 miles an hour, which is where the tire treads and the wind off the windshield and off the vehicle, um, aren't enough to allow you to know that the vehicle is there until it's right upon you. So, um, likely in pedestrian, uh, you know, areas, uh, parking lots, uh, residential streets, things like that. So the alert sound is something that, you know, would be environmentally appropriate, um, so that we would recognize it as a, as a vehicle, uh, th- that same sound would also be activated uh, as a vehicle is uh, at a stoplight but still in drive, which is also vitally important to us, right, in terms of orientation and safety sure. uh, in crossing roadways and streets and whatnot. So, uh, you know, all of that, all of that is included in this. Uh, in 2019, I believe 50% of new vehicles are going to be uh, required uh, to have this. And by 2020, every single new vehicle produced in the U.S. will be required. So, And uh, the the driver will not have the ability to uh, disable or to modify Good. Uh, the, the alert sound. Well, it's been a long time coming. And, of course, so many people affected by that. You know, we think of the... The blindness aspect, because that's us, but, you know, senior citizens and distracted cell phone users, all sorts of people can benefit from this change. Exactly. They attributed attributed 2,400 accidents um, within the last year uh, occurred uh, with hybrid or electric vehicles with people either not paying attention or individuals. with visual impairment. So, you know, it's, it's not a blindness thing, although the blindness community let it. Um, it's yes. not exclusively a blindness thing, you know, but we're very proud to have taken a leadership role in this. Uh, gosh, starting about a decade ago now. Yeah. And we, we do have a long history of really le- being a leader in this area. And I think, um, Rick, you, you hit it on the head. I think part of the, the other rationale for why, it may not have been pulled back was because it was pretty clear from data from NHTSA and that, you know, this is, this is not an exclusively a blind person's issue. This is, you know, 500 deaths last year in parking lots where sighted people were distracted or drivers were distracted. Um, You know, it's, it's a serious problem for, for everyone these days. So, um, I don't think we're going to get any pushback at all about the audio sound that a car makes. Um, although on the international community, it's been a little more challenging because the standards at the international level, they've tried to have the sound be driver controlled so that the driver could shut it off. Ah. And, and that just... You know, that just doesn't do anybody any good no. if you turn the sound off and then run over someone. So... <laughs> Well, one place uh, that it seems, at least, uh, like uh, like we're not moving forward maybe as fast as we would like is the accessible currency issue, and uh, and maybe you have better news than uh, than what I seem to uh, be recalling. But but goodness, we keep 
I mean, we uh, won a victory. What was that? Two thousand eight that we uh, won that court case, and where are we now? It seems it seems like we're almost at the same place, except that we have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, of the electronic um, uh, bill right. identifiers in circulation. Right. But what's what's happening with all that? Well, you're certainly right. We've got over forty thousand current talking currency readers out there in the field. Um, I think there's a lot more than 40,000 blind people that could benefit from a currency reader. So, you know, I'm a little disappointed that the process isn't quite as simple as I'd like it to be for a blind person to get a currency reader. But beyond the currency reader, I think, you know, the, the delays are just unbelievable. And there's just, you know, in my view, there's not not a justifiable reason for why they continue to have delays. So, in fact, um, ACB was not very happy, and um, Eric was quite instrumental in working with our um, our attorney, Jeffrey Levitke, to file um, with the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia um, a motion objecting to the, you know, the procrastination and the pushed forward um, timeline of 2026 as a potential date for seeing accessible currency. You know, we're all going to be really old in 2026. <laughs> it's 10 years from now, you know? Exactly. So it would be really nice to see something before, you know, we're, we're too old to use it. To, and, so. cons- and considering how long we've been actually talking about and working on this issue. Yeah. One other victory that we've had in the in the last just couple weeks has been i think something that took us all by surprise was the uh, release from the department of justice of the audio description theater um, regulations that we had worked on and had been in process since 2011 um you know that was post-election and i was pretty Sure, we wouldn't see anything that we could say was a positive victory, and those regs came out um, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, I think took us a lot, a lot of us by surprise. But we were delighted, and um, those regs will get published in the Federal reg- Register um, relating to uh, video description equipment and availability in movie theaters, and they will go into effect 45 days after. The um, they're published in the Federal Register, and there's timelines for how long theaters have to implement this um, that Eric might speak to. But but that was again something pretty pretty positive to come along in the last couple weeks. We we haven't covered uh, the medical aspect. We haven't covered the prescription labeling, and that's I know that's been a, a very important issue. So I wanted to make sure we hit that. Well, it's certainly been an important issue for me over the the last several years. I've had the opportunity to work with Lainey Feingold directly, who has handled a lot of the structured negotiation cases that we have um, had success with in in the past with Walgreens. With you know, we settled with Rite Aid, um, CVS in particular, um, and we're still working with CVS, CVS on. Um, same-day access to uh, accessible prescription with labels. 
Um, so that's kind of an area where stay tuned, but I think you're going to see some action in early 2017 on that that could be really positive. Um, access to medical equipment and devices and services is one of our um, priorities that Eric's working on in several areas and Tony as well. So I think also just in that area of medical um, information access, um, you're going to see some some additional work in 2017 that we'll be very pleased to to work with our affiliates and you know partner with them and find um, case examples of people that can help us you know file complaints and and um, work on the accessibility of of medical information and services and accessibility to some of the equipment in the medical field that we as blind people need to be able to use independently and can't always do so. So there's certainly some work to be done, but I think we're, we're moving in a really good direction on a lot of that. Well, quickly looking forward to next year, do you see any issues on the horizon that uh, may be new or, uh, or, um, becoming more problematic than they were that uh, that that we might be facing as the uh, year 2017 dawns and uh, moves along. Well, I, I would I would say you know the uh, the beginning of the the new administration is going to be interesting. Um, you know, every every new administration has their own way that they want to approach any number of issues, and uh, we're we're going to be very interested to see. How, how the new administration approaches uh, vocational rehabilitation and uh, sort of the implementation of the of the right you know the regulations uh, that came out earlier this year um, that you know I would argue have, have done uh, and and will do some harm to our to our community uh, regarding the elimination of the homemaker provision uh, which essentially had allowed for or individuals who, in our in our instance anyway, who you know, gone blind quite recently that that needed time to adjust to the fact that they were now like a blind guy or a blind woman, right, and uh, get the appropriate training um, <clears throat> to to be able to go back to to work or go back to school, um, to go back to work. Um, you know that that provision has been eliminated, and be interesting to see how how that plays out in the new administration, if there's any uh, ability to, to deal with that issue. Um, you know, I think, I think that there could be uh, some opportunity for us, frankly, uh, with regard to uh, the, the cash cliff that we in the blind community have continued to experience over the last many, many years. Um, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, blind folks going to work and, uh, losing, losing their, their benefits. And, uh, it would seem to me, and it's been sort of signaled by some staff on Capitol Hill that there may be some interest in taking a look at that issue, which, uh, man, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we could test it out and do a national demonstration on the blind community first, um, be, be pretty interesting. So there's that, there's the, the issue of uh, Medicare covering certain low vision devices that 
um, many many listeners are probably aware of. That's something that ACB has been advocating for. But I think that there's probably an opportunity to to message that in a slightly different manner, uh, given the political climate, where that may have an opportunity to to move with uh, you know potential healthcare legislation. Um, you know, these are all just guesses, right? Um, no one knows for sure. But these are these are some areas where, where you look at the potential cost savings down the road uh, to the to the government um, and empowering folks. Um, that generally speaking, um, you know, the the party in power uh, tends to tends to favor. So it's it's all in how we approach it and how we message it. Creativity always important. Yeah, and I think you're yes. absolutely right that that we're going to have to look for some some kind of new approaches to things that we might have done in a more traditional way. We're going to have to build lots of new relationships with many new people at, at the federal, state, and local level, for that matter, for our advocacy on a wide variety of issues. But I think um, ACB is ready to to tackle, you know, kind of outlining and mapping out uh, a new strategy for um, moving our agenda items forward and kind of figuring out how those items will fit best in the new agenda moving forward in 2017. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us with um, with our members all across the country and with our affiliates to uh, to you know preserve services we have and not to stand back and and not see progress we got to keep working forward and moving forward on on the issues that are vital to our community so that's exactly what acb is going to be doing in 2017 and i hope all of you listening will will be there side by side with us to make sure that that acb can make the change that we need to make in in our future so well, President Charlson and uh, Executive Director Bridges, uh, definitely a pleasure having you on Affiliates in Action. We actually didn't talk about ACB Radio, amazingly enough, which uh, continues to thrive and do well and uh, and be the uh, platform for this program. But uh, we certainly thank you uh, for taking time out and uh, talking to ACB Radio listeners about uh, uh, what's going on with the American Council of the Blind. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, Happy New Year and Happy Holidays. And you too. Absolutely. This is Rick Lewis for Affiliates in Action. We'd like to thank and congratulate Kim Charlson and Eric Bridges for their great leadership of the American Council of the Blind. On behalf of Rick Lewis and myself, Rick Morin, we'd like to wish you a very, very happy holiday season and a very, very prosperous 2017. Please stay safe. Tune us back in in 2017 here on Affiliates in Action on ACB Radio Mainstream.